Welcome to the Doyen of Death podcast, funeral planning for those who don't plan to die. It's all about end-of-life issues and getting the conversation started about our 100% mortality rate. This series is hosted by Gail Rubin, certified thanatologist and the Doyen of Death. A Doyen is a woman who's considered senior in a group and knows a lot about a particular subject. Well, that's Gail. She knows all about creating the party no one wants to plan, a funeral or memorial service. She discusses the changes death can bring, and she'll make you laugh. This series includes episodes previously released as A Good Goodbye, a treasure trove of evergreen podcasts about funeral planning issues. This podcast reveals some of the mysteries and shares advice and tools that can reduce stress at times of grief, minimize family conflict, and help create a good goodbye. Remember, just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. So, here to talk about the subjects we sometimes avoid is author, speaker, and the doyen of death, Gail Rubin. Welcome. This is part two of our two-part episode. If you missed part one, do yourself a favor and go back to listen. And now back to more with the doyen of death. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Ahmad Rufai Abdullah about Islamic funeral traditions. So let's talk about when you look at Jewish funerals, uh, Jews are not allowed to bury on, on the Sabbath, on Saturday, or during Jewish holidays. And Christians generally avoid burying on Sundays. Are there any days or times that funerals and burials are prohibited for uh, Muslims? Yeah. Um, you know, funeral is a, form of, is a form of worship, just like praying five times a day. So it mirrors the, 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 the times that we are allowed to pray and the times that we are not allowed to pray even when we are alive. So funeral funeral uh, procedure or, pr- or prayer for on the day on the dead cannot be performed at sunrise. Uh, we call it shuruk uh, until the sun actually comes out and is it's no longer yellow but but bright. Uh, at the zenith, when the sun is on the, in the, on the meridian, it's not allowed to to conduct a, a prayer on the on the disease. And then when the when the sun is pale, you know, in the pills or getting to sunset, sunset until it sets, uh, we are not allowed to 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 uh, conduct a, a funeral. Um, the other times when you cannot, uh, you are not allowed to perform funeral. Uh, 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 those are the, actually those are the only three times that uh, you are not allowed to perform a, a funeral. Otherwise, every disease Muslim must have funeral performed performed on them. Actually, we call it fard kifaya, which is compulsory uh, worship by the community. That not every member of the community needs to participate in doing, but if you have enough trained members of the community to do it, um, so that. Muslims can receive the blessings for doing it as a community. And if if a Muslim dies and there's nobody to conduct funeral, God is not happy uh, with all members of the Muslim community. Mm. And um, well, once once we have a funeral and and the person is buried, um, 
you've got morning traditions, and I'm guessing they vary maybe by by sex uh, or by culture. And when I say sect, I mean S E C T. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, certainly, you know, the Islamic faith is worldwide, so you've got all these different cultures following the same faith. Uh, but I'm guessing just like in the Catholic religion, that would influence uh, the the worship, the mourning, um, how different things are. Can you talk about just a few of the uh, the hallmarks of what happens after the funeral? Well, condolence, uh, offering condolences to the family of the disease is, uh, is, is actually mandatory for Muslims. You, you know, they need, people need to visit them. Uh, console them, comfort them, you know, sympathize with them uh, to the relative of the disease. Uh, this stresses the relationship within the Muslim community. Uh, you know, when offering, the way we should even offer condolence, uh, we, 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 we are taught how to offer condolence uh, by telling them uh, from the time of death throughout the period of, uh, of, uh, of, of the pro- process or procedure for the funeral until after the body is interned that, you know, uh, from God we, we we came, and God we to God we, we from God we you know we come, and to God we return. This is very soothing for the Muslim to hear. So this is repeated, you know, all the time to the families to for the families to hear. And when you con- go for condolence, uh, this is what is done. Uh, you know, people are allowed to cry, you know, but no wailing, or, you know, you know, um, shouting or. Uh, and then you you are allowed to uh, co- pay condolence visits uh, uh, for three days. The morning period, official morning period uh, uh, in Islam, is three days uh, for people to to visit them. But you visit and go, or so that they can have quiet moment for themselves to reflect. But uh, it's encouraged that people should should, should visit. Uh, and also to cook for the family, you know, uh, take turns to cook for the family uh, and not leave them alone uh, to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also, um, again, from when it comes to culture, it's also different. Culture also influences the way people uh, uh, react to uh, each other or react, you know, within themselves uh, during uh, and after death, you know. Uh, I've seen in the Shia community, the male uh, tend to express more pop outwardly the the grievance, you know, the the bereavement, the the loss. Uh, whereas the, the female, uh, the women tend to be more quiet. Uh, whereas in most, you know, most, in most con- the situation, the expression of grief and and so on is is actually equally for the male and the female. Uh, and uh, there are certain things that uh, people do. Uh, uh, in terms of funeral service, uh, on the uh, again, it's three days, but some people do it eight days, you know, you know, uh, forty days, one year anniversary. Those are those are new. Those are innovations in Islam. Um, uh, culture influences the way people uh, treat death, and uh, there's no doubt about it. And it varies from from culture to culture. But uh, as far as Shia, you know, the, and the Sunnis are concerned. Um, I see uh, the outward expression of death more uh, more loud uh, in the Shia community than in the uh, in the Sunni community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
What uh, do how do how do you respond to a bereaved member of the Islamic faith? Uh, what's what's a good thing for somebody who doesn't you know know the rules or whatever to say uh, or do? Well, um, there are, again, it depends on what it is. Uh, remember, this is a very tough moment for the family. Uh, it depends again who is you think is violating the rules. If it is family member, you might want to talk to a family member that is more uh, recipient, uh, uh, receptive to uh, to such uh, correction, and let them talk to the family member that is in, in violation. Um, you don't want to accost somebody publicly in, in such situation. The other thing is uh, for somebody um, to take charge from the beginning and announce what is expected of, of, the, of the Muslims, uh, what to do when somebody is about to die, uh, if they don't know, after they die, the funeral, the whole nine yeah, and explain to them. Uh, in our mosque, we actually have a booklet, uh, uh, not just, again, for the, for the Muslim, uh, also for the non-Muslim member, because, again, we are living in a non-Muslim societies, you know, there are converts to Islam. The non-Muslim mm-hmm. members of the family also need to know this is, you know, this is going to be different because I've seen shock, you know, in the mm-hmm. faces of uh, non-Muslim members uh, uh, when they come to the mosque for funeral, when they go to the, uh, the cemetery for for internment. So it depends on what what the violation is. It depends on who is uh, in violation, and then um, the knowledge who is most knowledgeable uh, to politely, politely, quietly. Uh, call somebody's attention to it and see if it, it, that can be corrected because this is one-time uh, effort. You, you cannot repeat it. Um, mm-hmm. So it is very important that it's conducted. Um, uh, uh, w- one thing that I would like to mention is what they call remote barrier, uh, where um, somebody dies, there's no Muslim to bury them, but you, are, you know that, uh, um, you know, a Muslim has died in San Diego or Arizona or somewhere. No, there was no Muslim there, and the body cannot be physically transported here, or it has been interned before you knew, realized that the body has not been uh, uh, preyed upon. There's what we call remote uh, prayer, of, and which you conduct the same prayer in their absence. And this is according to the tradition of uh, our prophet who conducted uh, uh, remote uh, Janaza prayer for the king of Ethiopia uh, 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 1,400 years ago. Oh, so so if someone finds out that a Muslim has died in another city and there was no uh, prayers conducted for them, uh, you would pull a group together to actually do that prayer in honor of that person? Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. It has to be done. If you find out, you, you, if somebody has, to, uh, the community that finds out needs to do something and actually you know, conduct the prayer. It, it, it's, a, it's the right of the, the last right of the, uh, of the disease, and it has to perform. Like I said, it's a, it's a compulsory, mandatory uh, worship uh, effort by the community that needs to be done by not all members of the community, but enough. Uh, or representative of the community, uh, otherwise God will not be happy. Mm-hmm. So how how do you pull those together? Um, does it? Uh, uh, well, uh, does... If, if if for for example, I find out today that something like that happens, um, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the next prayer is, is in a couple of hours. Um, actually, in, in half an uh, one hour from now, I go to the mosque. I tell uh, the imam, "This is what happened. Uh, we know the name. You know, even if you don't know the name, uh, or if you know the name better, you know the name." Uh, and you tell the imam, and then we line up as if the body is in front, just like you know, in a casket, they're physically there. And then you mention their name, you are doing a prayer for them, and uh, people line up as if the body is there in, again in odd numbers, and mm-hmm. they, you know, you know, do the prayer, which is mainly uh, uh, praying for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. forgot to forgive so- them and accept them. So you would work that into the very next prayer session that would be coming up during the day as soon as you found out about it. And then is is it just um, one prayer that you would work in yes. for that person? Okay. Correct. It's conducted only once. Okay. Funeral prayer is conducted only once, whether with the body or without the body. Okay. And, and in, in some cases, uh, some people have suggested that the body, if it could be exhumed, um, you know, especially if the family wants is exhumed, not not just anyone. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and probably uh, body could be exhumed and um, uh, prayer conducted. But that would be on in extreme situation. But because you know, again, if the body has been buried, uh, you don't have to go through the uh, exhuming you know process. Uh, mm-hmm. This could be done because we know that our prophet be upon him did it uh, uh, from when he was in in Medina um, uh, and did it for somebody in Ethiopia the current uh, uh, in East Africa which is in a totally different country yeah okay well it's time for one more break we'll uh, be back shortly we are having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Ahmad Rafai Abdullah who was a founder of the Islamic Burial Society of North America and we'll be right back Gail Rubin, the doyen of death, has been producing Before I Die festivals for years. These festivals get end-of-life planning conversations started by putting the fun in funeral planning. Outside-the-box activities break down barriers to discussing death and planning for our 100% mortality rate. And now, Gail has created the Before I Die Festival in a Box, the comprehensive guide to producing your own community festival. It includes everything you need to create a successful event. How to find sponsors, build a team, market the event, schedule speakers, topics for discussion, workshop ideas, and much, much more. To learn how to get your Before I Die Festival in a Box, visit BeforeIDieFestivals.com or call 505 265-7215. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Ahmad Rafai Abdullah. And I would like to find out a little bit more about the Islamic Burial Society of North America. You helped found that in 2006. And you've worked with hundreds of volunteers on training for this ritual. Can you talk yeah, a little bit um, about that? Yeah, um, I first got involved uh, in 2003, um, you know, as a community member uh, when the chairman of uh, of uh, the Burials uh, Cemetery and Burial Committee in our community um, left town, um, and uh, 
they needed somebody to do it. This is not things you know people jump out to do because it's not glamorous. So, uh, you know, I got involved and then you know tried to tweak a thing or two to improve it. Uh, but one thing I knew from the outset is that it's not something one individual can do. And uh, because of my training uh, in, in in medicine and, and understanding emergency uh, uh, situation. I try to, and knowing that when it happens, uh, we have to respond quickly, is to do do a rotational uh, responsibility uh, uh, so that we train people who know what to do and, and, and be on rotation on a monthly basis. And from there, uh, we decided to put this into a video. So we have developed a video that actually you can watch. If you have never done it before, you can watch a v our video now and you can... Um, you can you know what to do, and then uh, we realize uh, uh, that this is not something that is unique to our community. A lot of communities in North America, you know, uh, and not just in North America, in most cities in Muslim world, uh, where people move from villages into the town, you know, because in most Muslim countries, it's the older people that do it. Uh, people who are in the city don't know how to do it. So we decided to go into to national conferences uh, at the Islamic Society of North America annual conference, Islamic Circle of North America conference, uh, to deliver workshops and, and seminars. And then from there, uh, enough volunteers decided, okay, let's form uh, an organization. And uh, we we meet, you know, when we go to these conferences, that's when we meet. And uh, we have a mailing list. And uh, people have questions, you know, uh, they, they throw the question in the mailing list and, uh, you know, one of us, not necessarily me, uh, somebody else, somebody who has the answer can provide the answer. So, um, and uh, then we began to think about, you know, not just the funeral, what about the will, you know, living will, um, power of attorney, um, you know, uh, medical power for turning stuff like that. So uh, that's how it came about. And then by 2006, uh, but that's between 2003 and 2006. By 2006, I think we we decided that uh, it was time uh, we have enough critical mass of people to engage, you know, as a group to carry carry this forward. And then, uh, you know, since then we um, continue to provide the service training and uh, distribute the video, which is uh, was developed by the mosque, paid for by the mosque, but uh, is sold to the community, and the money goes to the mosque. Uh, basically, what I do is completely free, and what most people, everybody that is involved is free uh, to the society because we believe we are rewarded, we're going to be rewarded by God uh, for performing this for the community. So that's how the Islamic Barrier Society of North America came to being. And uh, uh, we continue do you all have, to do the work. Mm -hmm. Do you have a website for the um, society? Yeah, we we have a website, uh, janazaonline.org. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Saeed uh, in, in, uh, in New Jersey, who's taking care of them, I think, taking care of the website, I think is updating it uh, as, as we speak. It is janazaonline.org. Oh, great. Okay. So people could find out more about um, 
correct, the rituals correct, and everything. Correct. Most of this information that, uh, uh, sorry? Yes, that, so most of the information that we've been talking about might be available there? Correct, documents, you know, video clips, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what haven't we covered that you think people need to know about? Yeah, well, uh, one thing that is very crucial in every act of worship is the intention. Uh, mm-hmm. Because God, you know, from our teaching is, God doesn't judge you by the outcome or the work, but your intention. Because sometimes what comes out uh, at the other end is not what you intended. So when you go into this activity, you have to intend that you are performing worship. You intend to do the janazah and so on and so forth. And I think one of the questions I want to make clear uh, when you talk about times that we cannot uh, bury, mm-hmm. uh, I think I want to make sure I didn't confuse people. Uh, there are aspects of the procedure that you, even at the time we are allowed to bury, you cannot do. For example, if you have mis- miscarried fetus, if the fetus is less than four months old, uh, that is the mother was pregnant for less than four months, there's mm-hmm. no need to wash the body or go through the the entire nine, nine years, you know, of the pro, of the of the funeral process, and then mm. the body is wrapped in a piece of cloth and buried. They don't even need to conduct the funeral prayer on the on the body. Uh, but if the fetus is more than four months old, uh, then the fetus may be mm. washed, shrouded, and then the Muslim have a choice as to whether to perform the janazah prayer or not. Then, when it comes to children reaching the puberty, the child child may be washed by male or female when they are below puberty before puberty, and uh, uh, females use it, uh, again, it's not as extensive uh, in fetuses as it is in, you know, in, uh, in adults, but when mm-hmm. children have reached puberty, uh, you treat them like, uh, like, uh, like uh, uh, an adult, and then mm-hmm. when you have a, uh, somebody that died as a matter, you know, somebody who is matter, um, there's no need to... Uh, wash the body or shroud the body. The body is buried at the, at the point where they died, uh, so that you don't move the body uh, to anywhere. Uh, but if you move to the hospital, for example, then um, the body needs to be uh, washed and shrouded and then uh, uh, prayed upon. So you know, I just want to make sure um, intention is very critical when you are doing any of this procedure, and also the exemptions of parts of the pro- process. Uh, that you don't need to conduct for certain age, for certain gender, uh, or for certain situation. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand you also encourage interfaith cooperation and collaboration with the conservative and Orthodox Jews um, because the Tahara burial and uh, preparation procedure has a lot in common with uh, the Islamic traditions. So have you actually met with um, Jewish groups and like shared traditions and tips? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I met, uh, actually, they came to help us in 2005. Uh, uh, and I have to give, uh, raise my heart for the, the Jewish uh, uh, community for being ahead of us when it comes to uh, actually knowing what to do. Uh, knowing the laws, knowing the uh, the system. Um, when we're trying to, again, by 2003, 2005, I realized again that uh, we have to have our own washroom, you know, our own funeral. Uh, mm-hmm. Just so that, you know, give you an example, you ask somebody, 
you know, in the middle of the snow to go carry, get somebody uh, from the hospital for burial. In one particular case, you know, this is a 300-pound, 300-pound individual that died, and one individual went to pick the body and asked, how did you do it? He said he did it, but, you know, I knew, you know, he did something wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's oh, no way you can <laughs> pick a dead body by yourself. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I feel that uh, we have to have our own and uh, approach the North Carolina funeral board to to allow us, you know, have a washroom, and they did they did they they, 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 they didn't approve us. Well, I got a call from two three individuals, you know, uh, Joshua Slocum, I believe from New Hampshire or Vermont area, uh, Lisa Carlson. Uh, and uh, uh, David Zina, how do you know about this? Well, the Jewish group are uh, uh, well organized. They somehow found out that the Muslims have been denied, and they wanted to make sure this is not something uh, the government should intervene or anybody should intervene when it comes to religious barrier. And they came to help us to understand our rights and, uh, you know, and why we are not breaking the law. And uh, eventually, one let one little led to the other, and now we have our own washroom in the mosque. Well, since then, um, because I go to Washington quite a bit, um, I get to meet uh, David Zina um, because he lives in Silver Spring, and then he invited me to his place. He showed me around uh, their own uh, Tahara room, and uh, eventually they, they invited me to the uh, conference in 2006 in Oregon in which we actually demonstrated the Muslim barrier, a uh, Mishraudian procedure, Washington procedure. Then I began to hear this rabbi saying, wow, this is what we do. I mean, it's like our own. It's like our own. It's like, like Tahara. And I said, what? You know, <laughs> so by, when, we, when I finished, then they performed their own uh, Tahara procedure, you know, using, because uh, they brought their kids. You know, we call it casting kit. I don't know what the Jewish group call, call it, but they have their own kids. By the time they did it, oh, you know, with, yeah. in the, with the dummy, I said, wow, it's very similar. Not exactly the same, but very similar steps, you know, very similar principles and uh, uh, religious obligation. And uh, since then, uh, I've since invited uh, David Zina to our conference in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, to attend our conference and uh, 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 listen to our talk and uh, see me do 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 the demonstration, conduct workshop, uh, and he was glad uh, was glad uh, that he could make it from from uh, Columbia, Maryland to 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 Hartford, Connecticut. So yeah, I encourage uh, uh, this kind of collaboration because you know, I one time I asked him, you know, why did you help us? He said, well, if we didn't help you, you are more in number, and we have we need number. For this, for us to get, you know, this kind of religious rights, you know, in, exactly. in, in this country. So if we have number, the Muslim join us, then we become more powerful. <laughs> exactly. Well, Doctor yeah. Doctor Ramad uh, Ahmad Rafai Abdullah, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Remember, talking about sex won't make you pregnant. Talking about funerals won't make you dead. Gail Rubin, the doyen of death, is the author of three award-winning books. In A Good Goodbye, Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die, Learn How to Save Money, Reduce Family Conflict, 
and minimize stress at a time of grief. Just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. Kicking the bucket list, 100 downsizing and organizing things to do before you die, brings a light touch to downsizing and organizing for end-of-life issues. And Hail and Farewell Cremation Ceremonies, Templates and Tips helps you easily create meaningful memorial services with sample scripts, suggested readings, and music recommendations. These fine books by Gail Rubin, The Doyen of Death, are available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. For more information, visit agoodgoodbye.com. Thank you for joining us on the Doyen of Death podcast. You can find episodes of this podcast and past episodes of A Good Goodbye with Gail Rubin on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Gail's work, visit agoodgoodbye.com. Goodbye.com.